We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall never surrender until in God's good time, the new world with all its power and might steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of people. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. It's the day after Christmas, and I'm going to share with you one more time why I believe this story, this story of Christmas, the babe in the manger, Bethlehem, stars, shepherds, wise men, why I believe that this story is true. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Good morning and welcome to The Rebellion. This show is Monday morning, the day after Christmas. And um, I hope it stays archived out there for some time because, quite frankly, it's not time sensitive. Yes, I'm identifying the time on this particular show because I want people to understand why I'm still talking about Christmas. But frankly, we shouldn't just talk about Christmas on Christmas Day. This is something that changed the world. Whether you believe the story of Jesus, born in the manger, conceived of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, lived a sinless life, died as a sacrifice for our sins, was buried and in the grave three days, and then rose again to prove all of his claims and all of the prophecies that he fulfilled, to prove all of this to be a historical fact rather than fantasy. If you believe in the story of Christmas, It isn't just a a once-a-year issue for you. This is a life-changing issue for you. Because arguably, during the first century or so, if not more, of Christianity, there was no celebration of Christmas. In fact, we know that Jesus probably wasn't born in December. He was probably born in the early spring. And that the reason December 25th is chosen right now is that a pope decided to declare that to be the celebration day, December 25th, the celebration day of Christ's birth, because there were other pagan holidays at that time celebrating the winter solstice. So is that what you're celebrating when you celebrate Christmas? No, you're not celebrating a pagan holiday. You're celebrating the fact that every inch of creation has been reclaimed for Christ and his kingdom. The paraphrase of Abraham Kuyper's quote, that we should be working to reclaim everything, that Christ is over all. He's over art, he's over politics, he's over government, he's over the individual, he's over the group, he's over the community, that when Christ is over all, things go better. You know why? Because forgiveness is in play, not vengeance and retribution. Because you've been saved by grace, not because of your superior works. Therefore, you have no cause for arrogance or self-confidence. You have all the reason in the world to believe that lives can change, cultures can change. Even pagan holidays can be redeemed for Christ and his kingdom because of the message of the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ, because the world changed at Christmas. So today's show is about why I believe. One more time, it'll involve a little bit of repeat about what the early Christians believed, and why I believe that those are factual statements, historically valid statements, in terms of what the scholarship says, 
the empirical evidence supporting those claims, those first century claims, claims that were part of the Christian faith, identified Christianity. In the days, weeks, months, and the first few years after the establishment of Christianity, maybe not even under that name. I don't know whether they called it Christianity at first. It doesn't matter. They were followers of the way, the truth, and the life. Followers of the man who also proved that he was incarnate God. Followers who declared boldly and were actually persecuted and tortured. John, for example, we're told probably died in old age. He's the only apostle, the only one of the twelve that died in old age. All the rest of them were crucified, beheaded, impaled, filleted. I mean, the list goes on and on. John, supposedly, the only one who died in old age, was also tortured greatly, imprisoned, etc. And even he's saying that Jesus Christ was the Word made flesh and dwelling among us, and that without him was not anything made that was made. John's saying that Jesus was God. I've covered this, but I want to talk to you today about it again and why I believe that this is not just an interesting, inspiring story, something that causes us to reach for a better a better way of life that that inspires our better angels no it's not just that it does include that there's no question in my mind that culture is better for it when people claim christian values and virtues nations are better governments are better neighborhoods are better towns cities are obviously much better and when the, they or we abandon the principles of the Bible, then our cultures and our country suffer. That's very true. But what about the individual? What about the individual? How you change, how your heart is made new. The old things are gone. Behold, all things are new. Paul's admonition to the Christians. Because when you're in Christ, you're a new creation. And Or, as Jesus told Nicodemus, that you're actually born again. You've become, you've been born as something totally different, antithetical, opposite to what you were before. Why do I believe that this is all true? Let's take a break, and when I get back, I'm going to answer that question for you. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. I'll be right back in a couple minutes. In 1978, George and Kate Tedford set out to protect Oklahoma businesses better. Today, their son and our CEO, Mark Tedford, is excited to carry on his family's legacy. Professional liability, compliance, property, workers' comp, health and life. Tedford Insurance's dedicated team gives you access to the nation's largest insurance providers, negotiates the best rates, and protects their own legacy like no one else. Call 918-299-2345 or tedfordinsurance.com. The Patriot Auto Group, locally owned and operated. The Patriot family of dealerships takes great pride in supporting the communities we serve throughout the great state of Oklahoma. The Patriot Auto Group's charitable work has been recognized throughout Oklahoma. Whether it's visiting one of our local dealerships or simply shopping and buying online with our doorstep delivery, the Patriot Auto Group takes the stress out of buying a new or used vehicle. And every purchase comes with our exclusive peace of mind, Patriot Pledge. You get engines for life, plus one year maintenance and 10 full years of roadside assistance 
plus so much more. Sure, we can sell you a car, but supporting our community and lending a hand to our neighbors in need? Sold. The Patriot Auto Group. Proud Oklahomans in the communities we serve. Okay, welcome back to The Rebellion. So if you listened to the show last week, you know that I talked at least a couple different times about the uh, famous Christmas Carol by William Chatterton Dix. It was uh, written in 1865. The lyrics were. The music actually precedes it because the music, as I said in the show, was an old English folk song, probably a, a tune that they sang in the pubs and whatnot for various different songs. It was uh, the tune of Greensleeves. If you've taken music lessons, it's probably one of the first things you learn to play, whether it be on the piano or the guitar or whatnot. So the Christmas Carol, What Child Is This?, is one of America's favorites. I enjoy it a great deal, too. I actually played the version of it by Andrea Bocelli. It's beautiful. So the, the hymn, I said, asks a very basic question. What are we to make of Christmas? What child is this? Who is this babe that we're told about? Is this true? Uh, or is this just a fable, a feel-good story of those who would rather live in fairy tale land rather than reality? Unfortunately, there are a lot of people out there that even after reading this article, at least I assume they read it, they mock it. Because I wrote this, this as an article for the Washington Times for Christmas Day. So the question is this, and I asked it on the show, is, is the story of Christ just another example of our psychological need for heroes? A Beowulf, Sir Galahad. Is that what it is? Uh, is it the opium or the opiate of the masses, as Karl Marx told us? Something to sedate us because we, we feel so helpless in our, in our earthly condition. Um, it, it's a curse to be a sentient animal, to be able to think logically. Um, actually, our evolution has damned us, is basically what we hear from the radical materialists, communists, socialists, Karl Marx, Vladimir Lenin, Engel, uh, Mao, Pol Pot, Hitler, Stalin, the list goes on and on. So is the story of Christmas the stuff of fabrication? Or is it possible that this tale of shepherds and a star and a savior is real? Is it true? Well, in the shows of last week, I answered, yes, I believe it is true. And I go back to those that were there. The earliest creeds, and known the Nicene Creed and the Apostles' Creed aren't the first. Those aren't the first creeds. In fact, there were creeds that existed within days, minutes, after the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. For example, here's one that I didn't even cite last week. It's by Doubting Thomas. His creed was, my Lord and my God. That's his response to the risen Christ. Doubting Thomas, the guy who said, I'm not going to believe any of this until I stick my fingers in the wounds of his hand, hands and feet and even put my hand into his side. And then his declaration, I guess you could call it a creed, it's a statement of who Jesus is, and that is my Lord and my God. This is a Jew. He doesn't say that about people. That would be blasphemy unless he believed this to be true. Paul says this, 
that Jesus was in the very nature God, and all things were created through him and for him, and that he was before all things, and in him all things hold together. Does that sound like God? Well, that's Paul's declaration in some of the earliest creeds that were passed on to him. By who? The apostles, probably James and Peter and others in Jerusalem, as well as Ananias when Paul spent time with him after his road to Damascus experience. Peter was unequivocal. He called Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. To whom else would we go, said Peter. This was Peter's declaration while Jesus was still walking among them. The Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. John follows suit. He's equally bold. He says that God is made in flesh. Jesus is the word made flesh dwelling among us and apart from him was not one thing made that was made. Again, this is a claim to God status for Christ. So these statements that precede the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, the Athanasian Creed, these statements are creedal too. They're defining the faith. They're telling you what these men died for. And like I said before, those of you who say, well, a lot of people will die for a lie, uh, the the men that flew the planes into the Twin Towers died for a lie, right? That's what you're claiming right now. They'll die for their faith. Yes, that's true. I'm sure hundreds, if not thousands, of men and women have died for something that wasn't true. But does anyone ever give their life for something they know not to be true? Would these men have flown the plane into the Twin Towers if they knew that their faith was a lie? I would argue, no, you don't kill yourself. You don't welcome martyrdom for something you know that you made up, which would be the case for the apostles. Think about that. They gave their lives. They allowed their heads to be cut off. They allowed themselves to be sawn in two. They allowed themselves to be put on pikes and impaled. They allowed themselves, in the case of Matthew, to be flayed alive. Others were boiled in oil. Others were crucified, in Peter's case, upside down. Would you allow yourself to be put in that situation if you know you made the story up, if you made it all up? Would you do that? No. No. Especially if it's not some sort of military conquest or overthrow. If all you're doing is you're preaching the words of this man that you say was God incarnate, that you know was in fact God because you saw him after he died. He rose from the grave. He came back to you and spent days, weeks with you, teaching you, coaching you, telling you that I'm going to ascend back to my Father, and I'll come again someday to retrieve you unto myself. But in the meantime, we're sending the Holy Spirit. So that third person of the triune God, of which I am, I am, okay, that's God's definition for himself, of which I am, the second person, Jesus Christ said, I am God. I am Holy Spirit. I am God the Father. This is the Trinity. Mysterious, yes. Nonetheless, the definition of God. The Apostles' Creed comes along and confirms. It says, Conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, buried. On the third day he rose again and ascended to heaven and now sits at the right hand of the Father. Why? Why does he sit at the right hand of the Father? Well, the Nicene Creed adds... Again, this is taken from the Bible. They're not making it up. Stuff that Paul and Peter and Thomas and 
James and Jude, everybody else already knew. But the Nicene Creed wanted to make sure that there was no heresy that would develop within the church. So they said this, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made. One in being with the Father, and he will come in again in glory to do what? Why did he ascend to heaven, and why is he coming again in glory? To judge. Don't tell me that Jesus is just going to give us a big group hug. No, that's not what the Bible says. It says to judge the living and the dead. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. The Athanasian Creed comes along a few years later. Wants to make it clear that Jesus is God. Not separate in substance or reality. But he's co-eternal, incomprehensible, uncreated, and almighty. And it is necessary to believe rightly that our Lord Jesus Christ is perfect God and perfect man to whom all will give account at the end of days. That's the Athanasian Creed. So we have these creedal statements, the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, and the Athanasian Creed, but we also have the creeds that they were built upon. And those creeds were the creeds that Paul clarified to the Philippians, to the Colossians, and to the Corinthians. There are three creedal statements that Paul writes about in all three of those epistles. And when when did he do that? Within... A handful of years after the actual events. And where did he learn these things? He learned these things immediately after his experience on the road to Damascus, when he went to spend time with Ananias, and then when he went to Jerusalem to learn more. And to make sure that what he was saying about Jesus Christ was confirmed by the apostles. And is there any evidence out there that the apostles rose up and said, no, no, this isn't true. Paul's making up a different religion. No. There's nothing out there that says that Matthew challenged Paul that way or that James challenged Paul or Peter. There's nothing out there that says that. So, again, here's what we have. We have this fact that volumes have been written to answer the question, what child is this? Millions have given their lives. Millions have offered their deaths. Again, for religion, yes, if that's what you want to call Christianity— and if you define religion as your belief system in God, then yeah, it's, it's, it's a religion. I know some people out there say, well, Christianity isn't religion, isn't a religion, it's a relationship with God. Yeah, but you still have to have the right beliefs in order to have that relationship. So I don't begrudge those who speak of religion. Religion doesn't save you. Uh, living a right way within your religious principles isn't going to save you because we know that it's by Grace that we're saved through faith. It is not of ourselves, lest any man should boast. We also know that this this right way of thinking about God, orthodoxy doesn't necessarily lead you to orthopraxy, and it certainly doesn't lead you to saving faith. But it's still a system of belief, systematic theology, for example. That's what John Calvin was famous for. So the answer to the question, what child is this? The answer is basically this. Jesus is not only real, but he's righteous. And this is kind of, I'm paraphrasing, this is the message the martyred Christians were shouting from the Colosseum floor. Um, He's not just our leader, he's our Lord. Not just an interesting leader. He is our Lord God. L, Lord with a capital L. This is what their early martyrs were crying as they were impaled on spikes and set on fire as candles to illuminate the streets of Rome. Yes, that actually happened. So, 
Christians throughout the ages have shouted, cried, they've sang, kill our bodies if you must, but we will rise again and reign with Christ in eternity. Of his government there shall be no end. He's mighty God. He's not just mortal man. So Christians believe in Christmas. And Christmas tells us that the creator of the universe condescended, biblical language there again, was cradled in a manger and crucified on a cross, but that today he lives and he's coming again. What child is this? The stanza from that particular Christmas carol? This, this is Christ the King, whom shepherds guard and angels sing. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the first and the last. He's the beginning and the end. He's the Lion of Judah. He's the Son of Man. He's the Son of God. He's the Son of Mary. He's the Word made flesh and dwelling among us. He's the heir of all things. Without him was not anything made that was made. He upholds the universe by the power of his word. He's the Holy One, the True One. His eyes are like a flame of fire. His voice is like a roaring, the roaring, roaring, excuse me, the roaring of many waters. His face is like the sun shining in full strength. He is the one with the sharp two-edged sword. These are all biblical quotes, by the way. This is what the early followers believed. He's the Prince of Peace. He's the living one. He's the one who died and is alive forevermore. Here's another phrase from that hymn that I shared with you last week. What child is this? He is Emmanuel, God with us. And they say this in the song, Haste, haste to bring him laud. The babe, the son of Mary, the king of kings, salvation brings. Let loving hearts adore, adore him. God is with us. In him is all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. For unto us is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. For us and our salvation, Jesus came down from heaven. He was incarnate, became fully human, and was, and was God walking among us, Emmanuel. And he's promised us that the gates of hell will not prevail against his church if we join that church through faith. And he extends membership through his grace. Do I believe all this? Yes, I do. I get people in the Washington Times that mock this story. One guy said, you forgot to talk about plastic Christmas trees and merchandise and materialism. You forgot to talk about all that. So he disparages this all. It's just a commercial enterprise to get people emotional so they buy more stuff. Another guy named Harry that follows me routinely on the Washington Times site. Uh, you know, when I wrote this column and when I wrote down what I just shared with you in the show, I thought, surely this is the one post that even Harry can't disagree with. Because Harry portrays himself as being a Christian, but he hates my politics. He hates my worldview, so he's always criticizing it. He's never said one positive thing about anything I write, that surely a man who claims to be a Christian would agree with what I'm going to say. This one will stump Harry. He can't disagree with anything. His first statement was, this is truly bizarre. And then he went on to quote, unquote, say that I was a whack job for writing these things. This is the Bible, I'm quoting scripture. I'm quoting the creeds. This is Christianity. And I've got a guy who claims to be a queer Christian saying that this is bizarre and that I'm a whack job for writing all this. This is a man apparently that's defining his Christianity on his own terms rather than allowing the Bible to define it, Christ himself to define it, the apostles 
Peter, Paul, James, and John to define Christianity. This man apparently thinks he can do a better job than all of them and all of that to the extent that when I merely write an article that repeats all of what they believe, that I'm a whack job, and it's bizarre for me to perpetuate these quotes and these ideas. So in the last couple minutes before I conclude, why am I repeating this story for you today? Because I want you to understand what it is that I'm saying I believe in. When I say I believe in Christmas, I believe in the Bible. I believe in Christ. I believe in practicing what I preach, wisdom. I believe in the primacy of Jesus Christ, the priority of Scripture. I believe in the pursuit of truth, that there is a real truth behind this story. That history has proven it over and over again. These guys gave their lives for this story. Secular scholars from Josephus and others confirm the fact that Jesus did live and that he was buried and that there were claims of his resurrection. Nobody in the Roman circles ever came forward and said, hey, we found the body. Or, and nobody ever came forward and said, hey, they're lying about that tomb being empty. And Jesus is still in there. Go look. Nobody ever said that. They tried to spin other explanations, but they never said Jesus is still in the grave. They never said that. And they never brought forth the body. They never found anything. You, you learn that from Josephus and other secular scholars. But why do I believe it? Well, there's another story here. And that is, try it. Taste and see. Try it. I've talked before about The Curate's Awakening, one of my favorite books, written at the turn of the century between the 1800s and 1900s by George MacDonald. And in this, we learn the story of a man who was doubting whether the story of Christmas is true, and therefore he decided to look into it. And the way he looked into it was, aside from all the scholarship, the intellectual, he decided to, to engage in the practical. He decided to just start doing what Jesus said to do. He didn't even know if he believed yet, but he decided to behave. So he kind of put his behavior before his belief. And at the end of the entire book, as he's trying on a daily basis to basically just do what Jesus said to do, to behave the way Jesus said he should behave. Again, he doesn't know if he even believes in Jesus, but he's behaving in a Christ-like manner. He's behaving as if he does think that this way of life has merit. At the end of the book, he stands before a church congregation that knew he was going through this whole struggle, the curate, the small town pastor. He stands before his congregation, with whom he had been very vulnerable over the last several months in this journey of doubt, but yet behavior. And he says to them, I know you know I've gone through this struggle. I know that on a weekly basis I've shared the facts of my doubts, but I've also shared with you that I've attempted to behave accordingly, to behave in accordance to the story of Christ, to do what Jesus himself says to do. And then he says to his congregation, in my attempt to obey the words recorded as his, I have found grandeur above all imagination and invention. And therefore, I cast my lot with those of the crucified. Now, what's he saying there? In my attempt to obey the words recorded as his, 
I have found, I have seen grandeur beyond the realms of any human invention. In my attempt to obey these words recorded as Christ, I've seen grandeur. It works. I've tasted. And it is real. I've looked. And I've seen reality, not a fantasy. You can't make this stuff up because when you follow the instructions of Christ, you realize quickly, this is not an invention of man. This is a revelation of God. No man, no group of people could have made this up because in my attempts to obey, the words recorded as his, I've seen grandeur beyond the realm of any human invention, and therefore I'm going to cast my lot with those of the crucified. The way, the truth, and the life that no man can come to the Father but through him. That by grace we're saved through faith. It's not of ourselves, not by attempting to behave rightly, but recognizing that in attempting to follow him and do what he says to do, that I've come to saving faith because it's only by grace that I can be saved. And therefore I'm going to cast my lot with everyone else who has claimed Christ as their Lord, with those of the crucified. That's why I believe in Christmas, folks. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion.